Welcome to the Vanessa Landino podcast. I'm your host, Vanessa Landino. I want to start again this week by thanking you. I have been just overwhelmed by the response to the podcast. You've sent me notes, you've sent me messages, and you've really encouraged me. You know, the meaning of the word encouragement is to put courage into someone. And this is still a new venture for me, and I just want to thank you from the bottom of my heart for all of the ways that you've really put courage into me and encouraged this process. I recently received this message. Quote, Hi there. I had to tell you directly how much I love your podcast. I felt like the short session on love did more for me than the last year of therapy I've been plotting through. Wow, thank you so much. I have no words to express how much this means to me. And, you know, come to think of it, I will do a podcast, an episode on therapy itself. Okay, what makes therapy good therapy? What makes a good therapist a really good therapist? Um, And that's something I aspire to do each and every day I work in my therapy practice. But this message tells me that the podcast is offering something of value to you listening out there. And that's what is important to me. That's why I do it. Another listener recently informed me that she and her daughter, I love this, they both listen on Mondays, which is when the podcast comes out. And then that night, they have a mother-daughter Zoom session. And they discuss the podcast and they discuss what they learned and how it's applicable to them. Wow. First of all, what a great idea. I love this family. And second, It's always my hope that this information presented here is applicable to your everyday lives. So ladies, mother-daughter team, um, I applaud you, first of all. And secondly, this one's for you. Okay, I hope that this week is really inspiring for you and leads you to some great conversation. By the way, those types of conversations between family members, guys, that's the kind of stuff that heals the world. When we're looking at ourselves and we're bringing that to our beloved family members, our deep friends, those kinds of conversations are really bonding and those kinds of conversations heal us. So well done. So here we are in another week. Um, Last week, we looked at the concept of love, right? What is love? What is it for? Why is it important? And we looked at it through a couple of different lenses, right? The spiritual historical lens, the psychological lens, even an evolutionary lens, very briefly. I think I said one sentence about that. There are books and libraries written about this subject and why the actions of love are necessary for human life. But I made the case last week that love does, in fact, matter in terms of your mental and emotional health, right? The actions of love are the nourishment we need to encourage growth throughout the lifespan. So many of us talk about growth as if it's just physical growth. You know, we talk about how we grew up or where we grew up, and it's as if we went from a small person to a full-grown person, and that's what we understand growth to be. So by that definition, did we stop growing at age 16 or 18 or 21? Because some of us reached our full height and shoe size in the seventh grade. So does that mean that that was the end of growth? No, 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 no. Okay, certainly not. Right. To grow in any way means we are continuously reaching our potential. We're moving in the direction of optimum health. This is throughout our life. And it happens on a number of different planes. Love is the driver. That's why love matters. All right, let's dive in. Let's look at growth across a couple of different planes of human development. What does it mean to grow emotionally? 
Well, it means that we are increasingly aware of our feelings and increasingly skilled at expressing them, responding to them, learning to communicate intimately with our feelings, right? We're getting better and better at noticing what we feel and using them to determine what we need. We're better and better at self-soothing through difficult emotions. And we're increasingly able to communicate intimately with others. This is emotional growth, okay? And this is lifelong work. We will always be growing in emotional maturity. What does it mean to grow spiritually? Well, it means a lot of things, actually. But mainly, it means that we're increasingly centering our lives around what is meaningful to us and what is lasting versus what is driven by our egos, Okay, it means that something larger than us is taking center stage. That's spiritual growth. We start to realize that we are at the same time sacred divine beings, and yet we are also dust, right? So our lives matter tremendously and then kind of don't matter in the grand scheme. And in that duality, in that acceptance of these seemingly contradictory truths, we find that we're making different decisions. We're centering our life around what is meaningful versus what is immediate or what is self-gratifying. Okay. And what does that produce? Well, we gain more compassion, right? We stop seeing people through egoic needs, which is to say that we stop seeing people through a lens that determines whether or not they are who we need them to be. And we really start to see people through who they are to themselves. It's a different lens that's growing in compassion. We grow in patience, right? We're coming to accept that things take time and that processes are important. So we grow in patience. We're growing in peace, right? Without the ego driving us, driving us, driving us, making all of these decisions for us, we find that we're much more peaceful. We're more joyful, right? And we're able to see the world around us, not through eyes that are measuring the world by how well it meets our needs, but increasingly through eyes that can accept it for what it is. So Spiritual growth means a lot more than that, but those are some markers of spiritual maturity, okay? Diminishing ego, an increased capacity for compassion, and a life centered around truth and not self-gratification. Okay, what does it mean to grow mentally? Well, growth mentally, again, could mean a lot of things. Um, It can certainly mean to increase our knowledge if we're growing in how much information we're taking in, what we're retaining, that's certainly growing mentally. That generally improves the quality of our thoughts, right? Our thoughts are more informed the more that we learn. And we may be learning in a different way. When we're children, we learn one subject at a time. Remember that you had math class, then you had history class, then you had English class, and you had gym class, whatever it was. The older we get, the more knowledge that we gain, we begin to see how all of these things are actually related, right? So we might take a history of math as an interest. Um, We might study applied physics, which is the study of using physics to solve engineering problems. We might study molecular gastronomy, which is super fascinating. And that is um, the study and practice of nutrition and cooking through the lens of physics and chemistry. So we start to see how all of these pursuits move us out of one solitary field of study and into the textured, complex fabric of knowledge that is actually far more reflective of the world we live in. 
Okay. So one of my favorite examples of this is Richard Feynman, and he was a Nobel Prize winning physicist. He was a famous, famous physicist. And at the end of his life, he really started to see how physics was leading him into the knowledge of himself and this sort of elegant understanding of how he was part of the universe. That's growing in knowledge. That's mental growth, where we stop seeing these narrow fields of vision and we start to see how we are part of something much larger and how all of those areas of knowledge are interconnected. So we develop awareness of the interconnectedness of everything. And this does a couple of things. Number one, it's very inspiring, right? It inspires us to keep learning because with every question, there's another question. There's 10 more questions, but it also humbles us. We know so little, right? So growth mentally, yes, it's increasing in information, but it's also increasing in the knowledge that we don't know a lot. If we're mentally maturing, we're not spouting off opinions without knowledge. We're not just hearing something from somebody and regurgitating it. We are testing it against what we know. Does this make sense? Right? We talked about that in an earlier podcast around what is mental health. We're testing the knowledge we hold around common sense. Right, If we're mentally maturing, we are not faking it at work. We're not faking it in relationships because we can learn. We can grow. We don't have to take shortcuts if they won't benefit us. So we develop the discipline to learn We grow in our skills and in our knowledge. Okay, so that's mental growth. Now, what does it mean to grow in mental and emotional health? Well, again, it could mean a lot of things, but it generally means that we're increasing in our knowledge and understanding of ourselves. Okay, this is the mark of a mentally and emotionally mature person. Self-knowledge. Okay, this person has looked at their life. They've told their story. They know their story from childhood to the present day. They have confronted and they've worked through the shame and the fear that causes us to silence our story. We leave certain parts out. We don't want to look at the past. We don't want to face what happened to us. The mentally and emotionally healthy person has faced these things, right? They understand their choices. They even understand their triggers, Right. They know that when something is triggering them in the present, they know what it's connected to in the past and they really understand their consequences. They understand how their life became what it is. Right. Sometimes a mentally and emotionally mature person wakes up and goes, how did I get here? And then really answers the question. Mentally and emotionally healthy people don't blame other people or make excuses. That acceptance of personal responsibility, just like in other areas of life, that personal acceptance of responsibility is a marker of maturity. So, right, just as the financially mature person is very self-sufficient with their finances, the mentally and emotionally mature person is self-accountable. When we are mentally and emotionally maturing, we don't panic when we suffer, We don't think that there's anything bizarre or strange happening to us. Number one, we know that suffering is part of life. Okay, so that's part of the interconnectedness of all things. Suffering is part of life. That is true every generation, every century, in every life. Number two, we know ourselves and we can trust that we have the skills and the knowledge and the process to improve our situation. So we're not panicking. We just kind of put our heads down, take a deep breath and go, okay, what needs to be done here? And we can rationally and honestly look at our own choices and beliefs 
and we can see how they've contributed to our joy and our suffering. So life is a mystery, yes, and it will always be a mystery, and there are layers of life that are mysterious, but if we're mentally and emotionally growing and maturing, we are encountering ourselves in a way that is helping us understand our life, okay? So how do we get there? What is the energy that is causing us to grow, whether it's emotional, mental, mental, emotional health, spiritual What's pushing us? What's driving us forward into growth? Love. Love in action. In other words, the actions of love, not the feeling of love, which is mostly dopamine. The actions of love are the fuel that drives growth. So last week we talked about love as the will to act in the best interest of another person mentally, spiritually, or emotionally, right? So we looked at what that means in childhood, And we talked about the importance of defining love so that we can heal and have clarity about what we went through as children, whether it was loving, whether it was not loving. We learned last week that we have to call a spade a spade, right? We can't heal from something if we don't know what happened or we can't admit that it did us harm. Now, just a word again, my friends, looking at childhood is not easy. I know this. We don't want to dredge up the past. I know it's hard. There are tears. There's reliving pain. It's extremely painful and difficult. And we think we can bury or forget the past. I don't want to go back to that. I don't want to remember it. I'm going to act like it never happened. But here's the reality. Unhealed wounds play out in adulthood. They show up as triggers, roadblocks in relationships, fears of intimacy, the inability to trust. Okay, this is why self-knowledge and self-awareness are so important. Self-knowledge is more oriented toward understanding your past. Okay, so let's talk about the difference between self-knowledge and self-awareness. Self-knowledge is much more oriented toward understanding the past, knowing your story, right? How you got to be who you are. What conditions, what experiences, what events allowed or promoted certain coping mechanisms to develop? And what parts of me are innate gifts And which parts are actually personality features that developed to survive the environment? Okay, this is self-knowledge. It's understanding your past, how the past connects to the present. Self-awareness is more oriented in the present. Self-awareness is being attuned to noticing needs, feelings, wants, patterns, ego choices. What is loving? What is a lack of love? That's self-awareness. So self-knowledge is understanding our story. And self-awareness is really the ability to observe and understand ourselves in the present. So what I want to do is this. Let's break down love and adulthood into two types of love. And then we'll unpack both. Okay. The first is the love you receive. The second is the love you give. So again, we're going to look at two different types of love here, the love you receive and the love you give. All right, let's start with the love we receive. Okay, before we can even dive into this idea, which is to consider the actions of others, whether or not they're loving, do they embody real love? We need to ask ourselves a very obvious but easily hidden question first. And that question is this, do I allow myself to receive love? What does it even mean to receive love? Okay, let's ask, do I allow myself to receive love? This is so important because if we can't receive love, the love we actually get will do nothing. 
It will not heal us. It will not promote growth. It won't move us forward in our lives. It won't do what love does. It'll just be empty. It's useless. It's like pouring water into a bucket with a hole in it, right? We will resist it. We reject it. We shun it. We evade love if we do not or cannot receive it. Why do we do this, right? This is like an obvious question. Why on earth would we resist or reject love, the very thing we need more than anything? Well, there are several reasons, okay? We might resist or reject love because we grew up in a family environment where it was not possible to trust it. Maybe we heard the words, I love you. And maybe we received some love, but we were harmed right alongside those words. And sometimes by the very same people who were speaking them. So we've come to believe, not consciously, unconsciously, that love means harm. So in this situation, no wonder we resist it, right? We might resist or reject love because we lost someone we loved deeply, who deeply loved us. So we have, again, this is very unconscious. This doesn't sit on the conscious mind. Unconsciously, we've come to believe that to love means to hurt. To love means to suffer loss and we can't face the hurt again. So in order to protect ourselves from hurt, we've shut down our ability to receive love. We might resist or reject love because we were abused and came to believe that we are unworthy of it. Now, I want to stop for just a second here and make a note of this. The reason that we ever, ever believe that we are unworthy of love is abuse or neglect. Okay? That belief does not come from any other place. If we are mistreated... This is why childhood is important. We have to call the spade the spade and we have to say what was love and what wasn't because we have to understand if, that we, if we feel unworthy of love as adults, we need to know where that came from. That's not a true belief. It came from somewhere and it comes from abuse, neglect, abandonment. Okay. So in this case, we are actually living in a sick, unhealthy integrity with our belief. The belief is what we're living out. We resist and reject love because we believe we don't deserve it. We're not worthy of it. But that belief in and of itself is actually wrong. We do deserve love. Everyone does. But we're living it. And so we resist and we reject the love. Some of us resist and reject love because we associate receiving and accepting love with selfishness. We have a warped view. We were taught with this wrong warped view that we should always, always be giving. We should never sit back and allow someone to serve us, to love us, because that would mean that we are not on our feet serving. First of all, this is exhausting, <laughs> right? Who can live like this all the time? It's also wrong. We need to balance giving and receiving, right? A life spent giving and not receiving love is not a life in balance, Okay, some of us resist and reject love because it's too vulnerable to receive it. It puts us in the position of admitting our need and admitting our weakness. Being the giver of love keeps us safe, doesn't it? We're behind the walls of being in control of the dynamics of a relationship. We appear strong, we appear selfless, and we believe that that strength is self-sufficiency. But what we don't admit is that we need to hear, for example, words of encouragement. We don't admit that we need to receive acts of love and kindness and we're safe behind the walls of the giver. Okay. 
Some of us don't accept love because we won't allow people to change and grow. We might have been in a relationship where we were hurt. Somebody hurt us. They did. And people do, right? This is a fact of life. And maybe somebody has apologized. They're changing. They're growing. They want to offer us love again. We won't allow it. There's too much water under the bridge. And what they're giving, we think it's not up to our standards. Nope. Well, you're taking a micro step forward, but it's not good enough for me. Okay, so we shut down, we say no, and we throw the relationship back into a 6-6 cycle, right? Friends, how are we ever going to heal our relationships? How are we ever going to heal the world when this is how we go about things? Letting love in doesn't mean you rush back into someone's arms, although sometimes that does happen, but it doesn't mean that. Sometimes it just means saying, look, you're trying. This is different. I see it. I notice. Thank you. I see you taking a step. We need to do this in our families. We need to do this in our friendships, in our relationships, in our marriages. We may At a time when we were hurt, we may have rightfully and responsibly put walls up. But when it's time to take them down, even an inch, let them come down. One inch. This should be based on self-awareness and self-knowledge of the person who is offering love. Right? If we really see, man, they're making a concerted effort to grow. They're really changing here. It's time to let love in again. Now, there's no reason to trust people who aren't changing. I mean, apologies are pretty useless if they're not accompanied by self-awareness, right? But if people are really changing and they're self-aware, let love in again. This is emotionally healthy, but some of us stop love because we can't trust. Too much water under the bridge, we won't forgive. So the first issue we need to address with love and the love we receive is, do I allow myself to receive love? Because maybe there's love coming at me all the time in my life, but if I can't receive it, I can't see it. Or do we say, no, 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 don't worry about me. Do we say that more than we say, hey, thank you. I really appreciate that. Can we sit at a table and allow ourselves to be served? Can we graciously accept words of praise? Can we rest while someone works for our benefit? This is what it means to receive love. Can we accept gifts? Can we accept a compliment? Some of us, friends, some of us just need to learn how to say thank you. (laughs) That's all. That's your work. You need to learn how to say thank you and let someone else love you. Right? I'm going to be Jersey blunt here. Say thank you. Just say thank you for the love of God. Just let love in. All right? Now, when we resist or reject love, And this is really the downside of this pattern of behavior. Sometimes the flow of love that's coming to us slows down or it even stops. And why? Well, because it's exhausting to try and love someone who keeps rejecting it. It's really hard. There is always a good reason why what we are doing is falling flat. If we're the givers, the lovers, there's always some reason why it won't reach the person. It wasn't done right. Or I don't deserve it. Or you know, there's too much water under the bridge or whatever it is. And we want to give love, but we're getting exhausted. And sometimes the givers, the lovers, they just stop altogether like enough. I can't keep trying. I'm pouring water again into the bucket with the hole in it. But when someone looks us in the eye and says, hey, thank you. That meant a lot to me. 
What a beautiful exchange of energy. This is what it means to receive love. And I'm going to talk about energy a little bit more when I address the love that we give. But as long as we're talking about the love we receive, we need to allow the flow of positive, loving energy into our lives little by little. It's not going to hurt us if we let love in. Now, I know it can be scary to receive love. I know. I have the same fears. And buried underneath the resistance or the rejection of love are questions like, well, what if I allow this person in or I allow their love in and they leave me? Right? What if they hurt me? What if they hurt me again? What if I'm really not worthy of love? What if I allow this in and I'm just making a fool of myself? Or what if I let someone in? What if I let someone love me and then they see me for who I really am? Friends, let's be honest. Receiving love takes courage. It takes a lot of courage to allow ourselves to be loved. It's vulnerable. But this, this, this place of vulnerability is where trust is developed. And trust is the foundation of attachment. If we are chronically lonely in our lives, it may be because we don't let love in. We don't allow ourselves to receive it, to trust it even a little. It's time to let love in. So if we can fathom letting love into our lives, we get to ask ourselves, okay, is this love? Is it real love? What does it feel like? And just as in childhood, in adulthood, we can hear the same words, I love you. But the actions are as far from loving as the North Pole is from the South Pole, right? We have to test it. Is it real love? Remember that love does no harm. Never. Love may hurt, but it does not harm us for the worse. So let's review the actions of love do the following. They convey and communicate the value of the loved person. They uphold the dignity of another person. They reflect the inherent worth of another person. The actions of love respect the rights and autonomy of another person. Actions of love honor the physical body of another person. They protect the heart, the tender, vulnerable heart, and they foster optimum growth mentally, emotionally, physically, and spiritually. Okay, so we need to do some inventory and either receive the love we're given that is promoting our growth with thanks, with gratitude, or we have some conversations about it. Maybe we need to set boundaries. We might say, you know, I realize you're offering me such a delicious treat, but I'm really trying to watch my diet. Please don't bring me baked goods right now. Okay, again, we, we're, we're not rejecting the love. We're just setting a boundary. Okay, we might say, look, I really love spending time with you. Thank you for the invitation to dinner, but I can't make it this week. Okay, so we're letting the love in. We're receiving the invitation, but we're not making the appointment for dinner. I really appreciate your opinions. They cause me to think, but you interrupt me sometimes, and I'd like you to stop doing that so I can finish my thoughts. Okay, in more intimate settings, we might say, I love our intimacy, but I don't like that sexual position, and it actually hurts. Can we try something else? Right? I love your sense of humor, but that joke went too far and it was hurtful to me. All of those are examples of receiving love. We're opening the door to relationship and we're setting boundaries, right? Okay. Now, if we determine that actions are unloving and that means that they cause us harm and instill fear, 
We need to recognize this. This goes back to calling a spade a spade, right? These are tougher conversations to have. And I will admit that they're extremely tough to have. Unloving actions come from abusive people. They may come from narcissistic people. They may come from people who are just totally unaware. These types of people are much harder to reach. So even if we talk about it, they may not get it. Okay, in loving relationships, you can have those conversations where there's love on both sides. When there's a toxic, narcissistic, abusive, controlling personality, these conversations go nowhere. So we need to then limit exposure to these people. People whose actions are continuously unloving, meaning we're being harmed more often than not. Most of our interactions with them leave us feeling small, unseen, unheard, unknown. These are toxic people. All right. This is why we call the spade a spade. And beginning in childhood, we have to call it for what it is, right? We don't drink uh, nail polish remover because it's poisonous to us, right? That's a no-brainer. We're not going to drink nail polish remover, right? It's toxic. It causes harm. Likewise, we don't offer our time and energy to people who cause us harm, It's toxic. It's poisonous. All right. So those are a few thoughts on the love we receive. We let love in. When we let love in, we ask ourselves, is it really loving? If it is, we allow ourselves to feel it. We allow ourselves to receive it. We affirm that we are worth it. If it's not loving, we either talk about it and set boundaries or we limit exposure. Okay, so now we're doing some real thinking about what love is and we're considering maybe our own actions. Am I loving? Is what I'm offering those around me real love? Friends, we need to accept the ownership of the ripple effect of our own energy in the world. I'm going to say that again because it's really, really important. We have to have ownership of the ripple effect of our energy in the world. So let's let's talk about what a ripple effect is, right? Imagine a lake as calm as glass and it perfectly reflects the sky and the sun, and the clouds, and the trees, and all the life around it. You can look in the surface of the lake and see everything around it. It's that perfectly calm. And you're standing on the shore, and you pick up a rock. You step up to the water's edge, you know, pull your arm back, and you hurl the rock into the lake, and it lands with a splash. And then what happens? Well, concentric circles emanate out from the place that the rock made contact with the water, right? Out, out, out they go, until they reach your feet on the shore. That's a ripple effect. And this is how love works. The love we give or the love we fail to give has the same effect. It goes far beyond our own circle, our own sphere of influence, our own life. We've all heard this phrase, pay it forward, right? What a beautiful idea. I love this phrase that one generous action begets another and another and another, right? Friends, whether we're consciously paying loving actions forward or unloving actions forward, we may be paying it forward either way. This is what I mean by ripple effect. We need to consciously accept that the energy we put into the world has a ripple effect. When we give love, real love, when we are acting toward another person's optimum growth, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, whatever it is, the loved person will typically go out and do the same. When we give lip service, We're promoting that in the world. When we are harsh, we're creating that in the world. 
So the ripple effect of each and every one of us is a very real thing. It's very potent. So sidebar here, because unloving actions can get paid forward as well. But I want to say something about spiritual growth here. Spiritual growth means that we actually don't pay unloving actions forward. We may pay positive actions forward. We, we, we will pay loving actions forward. But the unaware person, the spiritually immature person, will receive unloving actions and take out those wounds on others, right? So they will be treated in a way that does harm and then they pass it along. And this is why examining our childhoods and healing is so important. This is why memories are so important because if we endured harm, if we don't see it, name it and call a spade a spade, we can transmit it in a number of ways, right? This is taking responsibility for our ripple effect. When we are spiritually healthy and self-aware, we can call unloving actions what they are, whether they happen to us or whether we've done them and they stop with us. So we transform unloving actions into loving actions by the simple act of compassion for the person who is unloving. This is a great spiritual step of growth. This requires depth. It requires maturity. But I wanted to be sure to say that, that we can pay loving actions forward and we can absolutely promote unloving actions forward. But if we're spiritually growing, unloving actions typically stop with us and we can continue to be loving despite receiving unloving actions. Okay, so the first step is we have to realize that our actions have a ripple effect. The way I speak to the woman behind the counter at the pharmacy matters. Okay, the way that I check out my groceries matters. The patience I have with a person who is grabbing a size of a shoe that I'm looking at, that matters. All of that energy matters. That's what it means to realize that our actions have a ripple effect. So we have to get really clear on what love is so we can give real love because the ripple effect is a real thing, right? So I'm going to focus very briefly on what love isn't. Why? Well, because sometimes naming what a thing isn't helps us to see what it is. Love is not caretaking. What do I mean by that? Well, I mean this. Love doesn't do for other people what they can and need to do for themselves so that they can grow. When we take care of another person who is incapable of taking care of themselves, whether they're disabled, elderly, even young, right? We take care of children because they can't take care of themselves. That is love. But when we step into caretaking, other adults, right? Taking control over their decisions, doing things for them that they could be doing for themselves. Often that is more about, could be our ego's need to be needed, right? We want to have an important place in people's lives. So we do too much. Uh, It could also just be about survival. Maybe we're just kind of rushing through life and doing something to get it done rather than patiently walking someone on their journey of growth, right? So it's just easier to do it. I'll just do it. Okay, I've known parents who have actually written their children's papers in school or completed their projects to ensure they got a good grade, right? To ensure that their kids got a good grade and they will call this love. This is not love. No, no, not at all. Love promotes confidence by allowing others to do their work, to do their best. And what happens? They meet themselves in the process. That's love. Okay, love is not saving other people from their consequences. Now, what do I mean? Consequences are the outcomes of our actions, right? They're the outcomes of our choices. Sometimes they're pleasant, sometimes they're not. Consequences are great teachers. And sometimes consequences are the only experiences powerful enough 
that will help us learn our lessons. So we can hear the right thing, we can read the right thing, but when we make a choice and we feel a consequence, that may actually be the moment that we get it. Okay, that helps us grow. So sometimes we rationalize other people's behavior or we rush in to save them, to rescue them. This is not love. Love actually allows pain if it ultimately develops self-discipline and wisdom in the process. So I'm going to say that again. Love will allow pain if it ultimately develops self-discipline and wisdom in another person. Okay. Love is not coddling. Some of these are similar concepts. Some of us can't bear to see other people in pain. It just wrecks us. We're probably very empathic and we just can't bear it. So we will do anything in our power to stop the pain in another person. But we have to remember pain is part of life, right? Pain is a teacher. Pain is what life gives us that matures us and grows us. Remember, we did our fourth episode on pain, what to do with it, how to transform it for our growth and benefit. Love means we can step back and say, I know this is painful. There's nothing I can do about it, but I'm right here with you in it. I'm not going to save you from your pain, but I'm not going to leave you alone in it either. That's love. Love means stepping back. In the moment of pain, our emotions can take over and we will do whatever we have to do to change or halt an unpleasant emotion because we don't want to feel it. And we can call this love, but it's not love. What that is is just self-serving because we haven't yet learned how to tolerate these uncomfortable feelings. Love means we step back. We observe what is necessary You know, I recently had lunch with a friend of mine I met in graduate school, and she's one of the funniest people I've ever met in my entire life. And we hadn't seen each other in years. And our bond was just as strong now as it was then in grad school when we sat next to each other in class. And we just love one another. It's such a sweet friendship. And she said to me over lunch, she's a wise one, this one. And she said, you know, Vanessa, I think people just need to pause. And we spent a good amount of time in the beginning of our lunch talking about that word, pause. Friends, love pauses. Love is not reactive. It responds. Love considers what is best, not what is easiest. So love pauses and steps back and asks, what is in this person's best interest? This allows us to do something powerful and absolutely necessary if we want to grow. It allows us to trust the process. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, Love, remember that love isn't just a feeling and it's not one word, it's not one thing, right? It is one word that means a series of actions. We talked about this last week. It's a process. It is a way of being with another person that encompasses many different actions, right? So when we trust the process, we're trusting love to do what love does. Do we get results immediately? No, that's instant gratification. But if we're trusting the process, maybe it means we choose to listen to someone instead of insisting that they see our perspective right away. Why? Because we know that when people feel heard, it creates bonds of connection. And we know that if we're connected and attached to someone, we're going to listen to them and they're going to listen to us too. And love will do what love does. It may mean that we allow other people to feel the pain of their own consequences. We don't rescue them and then call it love because we can't bear our own difficult feelings when they suffer. No, we allow people the dignity and the autonomy of their own choices. And they may stand or they may fall, 
but we give them the space and the room to own their choices. We're present, we're available for support, but we don't do their work for them. So that makes us feel better, but it keeps them stuck in dependency, right? When we do work for other people, we benefit, not them. Love trusts that they will learn their lessons, that we can offer support, they will grow. And we trust love to do what love does. When we love, we consider our timing. An apt word, well-timed, can be a lightning bolt of insight to another person. But a forced word, ill-timed, will almost always fall on deaf ears. Or maybe it's heard, but the relationship falters. The relationship itself isn't strengthened. This is part of the patience of love. We don't have to say it and say it now. We don't have to be heard right now. We can wait. We can be thoughtful. We can be watchful for the right time. This is love. When we love, we choose encouragement and grace over criticism. Why? Well, every animal under the sun learns more from reward than punishment, okay? Every behavioral study tells us this. Human beings are no different. We learn more from reward than punishment. Criticism is a form of punishment. So when we love one another, maybe we see each other's faults, sure, but we choose grace and connection over the useless disconnection of criticizing another person. Why? Because we know that the bonds of love that come from experiencing grace will do more for a relationship than the momentary satisfaction of making someone see their fault. So we trust love to do what love does. We're asking ourselves, what promotes dignity, autonomy, and worth. So committing to the actions of love is trusting the process. Why would we do this, right? Because the actions of love, which promote the well-being and growth of another and do no harm, they work. We can trust them. We can trust real love. We can trust loving actions. We can give love knowing that the ripple effect will be positive. Now, will we always see the positive effect immediately? Will we get what we want in the moment? No, not necessarily, but love is patient, remember? And this is what it means to not lose heart. Keep loving. Keep giving love. Keep receiving love. Keep growing. My friends, love matters. This is why. It fosters trust. It fosters patience. And we all grow as a result. I hope you have a wonderful week. Happy Monday. And I hope that this week you're able to give and receive more love than you ever have before. Take a step. Take one step. And I will meet you here next week with another podcast. Until then, your sole work is to discover who you truly are and learn to love that human being. Thanks for tuning in. Follow the blog at vanessalondino.com. This podcast is recorded in Nashville, Tennessee, edited by Jared Bentley. I'm Vanessa Londino, and you just listened to the Vanessa Londino podcast.